Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back to Recovery, sort of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy in recovery. I'm Billy. I'm a guy in long-term recovery. And this is strange for us. We usually record at like 9 a.m. and it is like 5 p.m. and it just feels (laughs) all fucking whacked out for me, honestly. It's a little strange. So we're going to try to make this work and not be crazy and and all too out of sorts. One of the the good things is that the reason we're a little out of sorts time-wise is that Billy and his wife were on a nice vacation celebrating their 15th wedding anniversary. Is that correct? Yeah. 15 years. It's pretty right. crazy. That's so. fucking awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. It's a gift so, of recovery, that's for sure. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I'm just, it's weird. It's like the more we talk, the more I realize our lives are, are very mirrored. Uh, you know, you're, you're just a couple years older than me. I think you have just a couple more years clean and your anniversary is like mid to end August and mine's early to mid September. And then I guess your wedding anniversary is right about now in June and mine is uh, what Tuesday and I'll be 13 years. And so you're like just a couple years. It's funny. It's like very eerie how closely all those things are. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Hey, maybe that's why we get along so well, you know, such a similar path of life (laughs) (laughs) it very well could be uh and so you know before we get into anything about this week i did want to say we are supposed to have a a, another guest next week which is going to be fun for me i think uh i I (laughs) hope uh and this is like so last time we did recovery dharma which is a program it's kind of like a i guess nationwide slash worldwide program but this is more of a unique individual who has come up with not I don't want to say his own program but it's I don't think from our understanding of it right now until we question him further about it I don't think it's really a an established program with its own literature and its own like guidelines or anything it's kind of just hey this is a way to recover that's different than what other people are doing and we don't know what to call it so we're just going to do it our own way yeah, I think that's about it. And he's trying to get it going. I think he's open to some different things. Um, but was just looking for something, you know, to help uh, himself and some other people that he knew that were struggling to find a recovery pathway. So he said, hell, let's just start a group and start helping each other. Which is super cool, right? And and look, I, I'm not here to be the end-all, be-all of what works, what doesn't work. I don't really know. I just want people to be 
slightly happier and and free and treat people better today than they did yesterday. Uh, so if that's working for him, it's interesting. Just a little while ago, uh, I was talking to Brittany on Twitter. I just happened to scroll past and she was asking if there was any programs like our normal recovery programs, but for people who don't have a specific qualification, right? Like people who might not be drug addicts or alcoholics that just want a, a support group of some sort. Um, and, and I was kind of having that conversation of like, it's crazy that it's harder to find it if you don't have, you know, a reason to seek it out. I guess maybe people wouldn't seek it, but maybe there does need to be more established, just random, hey, this is just for support. We don't really give a shit why you're here. We just want you to come and talk about what's going on, which is, I mean, I, I get that, you know, that might not be exactly what, what he's doing, but he is kind of, it is kind of like a, hey, we don't know where else to go. So let's like just create a place and go there. Yeah, pretty much. That seems to be what it is. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, maybe, maybe he will, you know, create a whole new group that will become nation or worldwide and uh, we'll say, you know, you heard it here first or something and we'll act like <laughs> we're <laughs> All right. And I, I we think were... in, in general, that's that's sort of always been the, the basis of, I think, uh, group supported recovery or now what they call the peer recovery movement. It's like you're you're trying to find people that have similar struggles that have found a way out that can then come in and help other people find a way out too. You know, it's like helping someone through your lived experience and you know, that NA sprung off from AA when they said, you know, Hey, you guys are doing this thing over here and it's really cool. It seems like it's working really great, but it's not exactly for us. So we want to take kind of some of those concepts that are really good, tweak some of them in a different way and move forward with a new thing. And, uh, you know, who's to say people won't take, maybe they don't take the steps concept, but they take some other concepts of the 12 step groups, the group therapy part, the sponsorship part, the, you know, kind of maybe some of the accountability aspects to establish meetings, you know, different things like that and, and move forward with some new thing. Yeah, I, I was just thinking that's what that guy from Refuge Recovery did, and then he got a whole lot of chicks from it. So <laughs> right. Maybe it's will work out for everybody. Yeah. I don't know how that works. I'm digging a hole. Uh, anyway, so that's exciting. What's his name? Chris? Dave? Something? Uh, Matt. Matt. Uh, I was yep. almost there. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, yep. Uh, so that's cool. So that's that's what we're looking forward to next week. And, and I think uh, – as far as I'm concerned, I'm still trying to figure out some of the logistics of, you know, trying to do the YouTube video recording of us while we're actually in person. But I believe the week after we have him, uh, I'm ready to be in person, I think. Oh, yeah. Nice. That's the way it looks. Uh, so okay. I know that's exciting for you. So the time is coming near. We'll just have yeah. to you know, shout at the microphone from six feet away. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Put up guards of, you know, spit guards. So. Yes. <laughs> yes, we need, we definitely need plastic spit guards. And then we'll have the microphone like right in the middle, half and half. It'd be perfect. Uh, so we did want to go back. We got some great, excellent, incredible feedback. I, it's incredible to me. And this is one of the reasons I love doing this podcast, Billy, is because 
I feel like we said so much about step six, right? We, we had a lot of relevant information and I walked away like, oh my God, we're so knowledgeable about this fucking recovery. It's incredible, right? We know so much. And then we posted these links online and there was so much shit we forgot. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, that's great information. How could we not mention that and totally forget it? And so uh, just to you know rehash a whole lot of these comments, I appreciated everybody that contributed. And so maybe we can throw some of these out there and see what, you know, maybe some of it's helpful. Maybe you have some comments for some of it. Um, Recovery man on Twitter. We'll start there first. He said, it's never ending. That's what he learned about step six. It's never ending. More things will come out over time and you're only really ready to get rid of a defect when they've caused you enough pain. Sometimes we enjoy our defects. They're useful. However, not going to lead us to the serenity that we desire and are working for. And I thought that was a good point. I think we we might have tackled a little bit of that, that it was never ending, but just always a good reminder that we're constantly doing this, right? There's never going to come a point where I'm just done with character defects and they're not going to pop out anymore. Yeah, and I've always looked at this whole recovery, you know, process that way for me. It's like it's a it's a lifelong process, you know, if I want to keep getting better. I mean, obviously I can decide that I'm good enough how I am and not want to do any work. And people kind of do that all the time. Um, so it's only a lifelong process if you do the work and want it to be, you know, <laughs> like right. if you just decide, fuck it, I'm good the way I am and I'm not going to do it, then it's not a lifelong process for you anymore. <laughs> Now, do you find, I don't know, see, I, I don't know if everybody experiences the, this the way I do. I, and I, you know, my ego says, oh yeah, everybody does it the way I do it. And I doubt it. Um, I find that I will kind of slide away from recovery practices here and there and I'll, I'll get stuck back in my old patterns and I'll be a jerk and I'll come to a place where I'm miserable with being a jerk. And then I get back into the process again, right? And it's kind of basically repeatedly doing that over and over and over again. Do you think other people just kind of get to a point and they're like, I'm done and they don't ever come back? Or they spend extended periods of like 10-year blocks of just being, you know, miserable jerks before they come back to the steps? Or um, I think all of the above or both, you know, like for, for some people, they drift away, you know, out of resentment or anger and then they get to themselves and they get, you know, bitter and all the character defects creep back in. And then for, I believe other people, I mean, maybe they find a home in a, you know, a religious organization, a church or some other new spiritual practice, you know, maybe they become some sort of, you know, Buddhist or, you know, begin some practice in that tradition that just leads them away from the 12 step fellowship, but they're still doing spiritual work. Mm. Um, they're still working on their, their spiritual conditioning. Um, so in that, in that case, I think some people just either outgrow or just find that this isn't what works for them anymore. Well, I wasn't even thinking so much like people who leave the programs like that's, you know, I, I get that uh, more. So I, I'm just picturing some people that, you know, 20, 30, maybe even more at this point years 
and they just become like those old crotchety Muppets or something in the balcony. Like they're, they're just constantly in the meetings being angry and bitter all the time. And I just, look, I've never been close yeah. enough to these people to know, well, maybe they are doing work and still changing. But a lot of times from where I'm sitting, which isn't that close to them, it's like, God, do you even work the fucking steps? Like, are you even working on yourself ever? <laughs> right. been the same douche <laughs> since I got here 15 years ago. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, uh, yeah, that's probably true too. There, I'm, I'm sure there are some of those. <laughs> I mean, my experience, and again, being in a smaller area, though, I mean, I don't have the large number of people like the, you know, a city area would in in this rural community. Um, most of those people just stop coming. You know what I mean? Like they don't really stick around. But then, you know, I say that, and I know people that have been coming around for. 20 plus years and haven't even worked all 12 steps. So I, I, sometimes I try to figure it like, I don't know what they're doing here. Exactly. I don't know what, <laughs> you know, I'm not really sure. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Uh, the next one, um, our buddy sobriety, Matt, oh man, he is, a. Uh, he was going through a little tough time this morning, but I don't know. He's, he's been, I've, he's mentioned us a few times on Twitter and I, I just appreciate that greatly. He, seems to get something out of our podcast. And I bring that up to you because I know you don't always get to see all our Twitter interactions. And I know what it's like for me to experience every time somebody says they get something out of listening to our podcast. Because the truth for me is I generally do this because I know you and I get something out of this. Like I leave this podcast more open-minded, you know, thinking about more different recovery topics and generally just a better human than I am before I come into it. And so when other people get something out of it, it kind of like warms my heart a little bit. And so I wanted to share that with you that uh, Matt often seems to get something out of what we have to say. And, and it just, I appreciate that. He, he had commented on this one that he was going back over his sixth step and he was excited to listen to this episode. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. And you know, it is pretty cool. I've actually made more of an effort to go back and try to read comments and things uh, because almost the same reason you said, it's like, I realize now, you know, I can go back through and read and get some really good input or really good, uh, fresh looks or fresh ideas on things that I hadn't really seen or just need reminded of, you know, sometimes you hear things and they kind of gloss on by, and then you go back and hear them again later. And it's like, wow, that sounds so profound. Like, I know I've heard that before, but it just didn't seem to hit you know, like it does now at this stage in my life. Right. And uh, that's often how it feels like reading the comments or hearing what people have to say. So, yeah, he, he got a kick out of you saying that it is what it is, was the atheist version of let go and let God. <laughs> uh, so the, the share peer specialist um, on Twitter said, still not sure if I'm entirely ready. Some little part of me is holding back. I wasn't sure if that was a confession uh, <laughs> or, you know, just the fact that like, sometimes we overthink, I know for me, I can go into six and seven and question. It's just similar to the person who's coming around and has, you know, two months clean. I remember being the guy with two months and saying, did I really hit my bottom? Am I really done? Right? Like same thing with the, with the character defects. Am I really entirely ready to let it go? Am I sure about that? Like, who the fuck knows? Just try it. Right. right. Uh, so that's 
I don't like I said, I don't know if that was a confession or, or just they were pointing out that we overthink the entirely ready part sometimes. Yeah. And so many of these things are just a day at a time. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm just trying to do it for today. I don't know. Maybe tomorrow I'll change my mind and want to take all my character defects back and say, fuck the world and, you know, give them the worst parts of myself. I don't know. But for today, mm. I'm going to try my best, you know, to be a good person, to live by these spiritual principles, to to not act on my character defects. And I don't know what I'm going to do later, but for today I can do that. Maybe, maybe you've really pointed out something there. Maybe six and, and moving into seven is a lot of like, you know, you talk about your kids having a toy room. If you were, you know, privileged like that, if not, you were just in the living room. Uh, but either way you had the toys spread out all over the floor from a nice rainy day of playing indoors. Right. And then at the end of the day, you got to clean up. You have to straighten up the living room or the toy room and you have to put all the toys in the toy box. And like whenever you want, you can pull them bitches back out. Like they're not stuck in the toy box, right? You've straightened your your room up for the day, but that doesn't mean it's going to be straightened forever. Like you have to do your daily spiritual maintenance of straightening up the toys when you're done with them, of, you know, vacuuming the floor so the baby's not eating all the little dust pieces and shit like that. Like I don't know. I just really like the way you put that out there. We don't have to lock these away forever. In fact, I don't even think we can. I think we're yeah. really just putting them away for today and straightening up our life for this moment. Yeah, exactly. And and for me, you know, in my life today, that's the importance of like a 10th and 11th step, you know, that like meditation is such a big part of, you know, keeping my spirit in a place where those character defects aren't right on the edge, you know, it, it, mm. it helps me to put them down just a little bit further so that they're not the first tool that I grab when shit goes haywire. You know? Right. Right. No, I, I definitely, you know, I'll see a screw sticking out of a, a door handle, or I guess that's a bolt, not a screw or something like that. And, and you're right. The first thing I do is grab the first tool I want to grab, which is my anger hammer. Right. So I need to, you know, look for the correct tool for the situation, not just grab the hammer all the time. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to patch many windows with my hammer. <laughs> yeah. But some days everybody gets the hammer. You know? <laughs> Fucking right, they do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last comment on the Twitter was Drew, who I, I really like this one. He said, Anyone can say they are ready to go camping, but if you really want to go camping, pack the gear, place it next to the door, learn camping skills. It's not a passive step. And I, I thought as a, a guy who, I don't know, sometimes I feel like that I, I give, I don't know how to put this without offending anyone. <laughs> That's impossible. So I feel like yeah. sometimes the, the more people who have a specific religion or a specific God tend to i don't want to say that they all do steps passively whatsoever but sometimes the words we say and as as believers so to speak uh do tend to be more passive right let go let god you know he'll take care of this all that great stuff and i felt like when people point out that things aren't passive i just assume that and, and i don't ever know what to call you agnostic or atheist or, or whatever but as someone who's not really a direct believer in a religion or a particular god i always assume you're going to like statements that have to do with action yeah i don't believe just thinking about shit helps very much <laughs> like, you know or expecting someone else to 
get the work done that I need to do. You know what I mean? Like I don't just get to, you know, sit on my knees and, and make a good wish to the, you know, guy in the sky that all of a sudden I'm going to be a great person. And there poof goes all my character defects. Like, nah, it just for me, doesn't work like that. You know, it takes effort and, you know, consistent work to try to get better at it. I am just going to patiently wait until July to hear you explain the humbly asking him to remove these. <laughs> I'm dying to hear it. I can't wait. Um, but yeah, I do. I do like the idea of, you know, we can all say we're ready to go camping, but what have we done to show that we're ready? Right. Have we packed our camping gear? Have we learned how to put the tent up in the backyard first? Like, or are we just saying I'm ready to go camping and sitting there, you know, on our butts in the, on the couch. Uh, all right, moving over to Facebook. I think, oh, to just to remind everybody, if you haven't been reminded enough already, we do have a Facebook page for recovery, sort of, which Billy gave me the green light last week to, to you know, go ahead and make it a meme page on a regular <laughs> basis. And so every day I'm posting memes, um, which I don't know, I guess then I got to share the memes to the other groups in order for anybody to see them. It's a little tricky, but I, I do think it's the way to go. Uh, but anyway, if you want to go and like the page and then you get to see more of this shit uh, and, and more crazy memes, if you're not on the Instagram to see them already. Uh, the one thing that got said on the page itself when we posted it, Virginia said a book that could be helpful is called Drop the Rock written by people in recovery. And I don't know if you've heard of this, but I know when I first got here, this was like the go-to book that everybody made you read. It was like when you hit step three, you were forced to read conversations with God. And then when you hit step six, you had to read drop the rock. That was like the go-to things to, that everybody gave you in Baltimore. And I, I haven't heard anybody talk about these books in like at least 13 years. So I was kind of shocked when they got brought up. I was like, damn, people still know what they are. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't heard of that book. I've heard, definitely heard of the conversations with God, but not the drop the rock. Interesting. Well, maybe I'm wondering if at some point we become a, a book club podcast where we like read self-help books and then talk about them together. <laughs> well, I would think, is that book about crack? That's what I would think. Like drop the rock. <laughs> <is> about crack. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's probably a dual meaning. It was probably written by like uh, former crackheads that also, no, I think it's about, uh, you know, how there's like the, I don't even think that's a, a Jesus teaching, but some kind of teaching about, you know, every time you're carrying a character defect, you're putting another rock in your backpack and eventually like the rock just forms and it's this giant boulder that you're carrying around. And it's like yeah. the relief of letting go of that and not having to carry it around anymore. Yeah, and I don't know where it came from. I know in NA, it's one of the just for today daily meditations. I mean, I'm sure it came from somewhere else, but that's where I've heard that, what you're talking about. So I gotcha. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe at some point we'll have to, we'll have like a, God, I want to say we do like a show a month on a book, but that's a that's a quick read of a book. I don't know if I'm doing yeah. it that quick. Um, and then, you know, we shared in our, our favorite group, our, our largest group at least, but the group we definitely get the most reaction in. Um, so Caroline said she learned, oh, and so I guess to, to, to put this out there, the question was, what did you learn working step six? Like, what was your big takeaway of your experience? Um, 
And that's kind of how I ask people to try to get their, their take on it. And so Caroline said that she learned empathy and compassion for others. And I, I kind of like tried to dig into that a little bit. And, you know, what she got to was that she realized in step six that everybody has issues they're struggling with. Um, and I, and I kind of think that's important. Like, I don't know if we talked a lot about that last week, but I do think through the process of me realizing that I had all these things going on, <clears throat> excuse me, it became easier to see that other people might look at situations differently than me because they have a whole host of other things going on, right? In the present and in the past. Um, and, and what I mean by that is like you and I could go and witness the same thing, you know, happen in front of us, a car accident, right? And it might affect you entirely differently based on whatever's going on in your life today. You might be stressed at work, whereas I'm not, or you might be, you know, going through a struggle with one of your kids and I'm not like it, anything can affect that. And I need to be more understanding and, and compassionate that other people are allowed to have their experience and their issues that they're struggling with. Yeah. And I don't think I got that in six. I was still really self-centered in six. I was still, it was about myself. I think like for me, my takeaway in six was similar, but more about myself. Like I realized like, you know, I wasn't just a summation of all my mistakes that, you know, the reason I like for the longest time, I couldn't figure out why I was the way I was. So I thought it was just a piece of shit. And then I realized, well, you're not a piece of shit. You're just shaped by this bad information or this bad you know, these character defects, you know, that you can now do something about, you can now begin to change them. But I don't think I wasn't until probably eight and nine when it got into like making amends and, and that stuff that I started to apply these principles more towards other people. Um, in the early, you know, it was all still about me. <laughs> how, how long were you clean? Do you think when you worked your first six Well, it was weird because I worked it twice. So I worked up to like seven and then I went back, I think, to five and then worked through it again, you know, because it was where I changed sponsors and there was some weird stuff going on around then with my previous sponsor and whatever. Um, probably the first time, probably five or six years. And then it wasn't long before I got back on it. So yeah, probably between five and seven years between the, it's hmm. hard to remember exactly like the first time and the second time. And cause they were kind of close together and what I took right. from each one individually. I was so just I curious ways too. I want to say mine was probably around that same time frame, maybe a little before that, or maybe a little after I can't even remember at this point. I was just wondering, I was like, man, maybe he worked his like six in, you know, year, like early after his first anniversary or something. And maybe I was trying no, to figure that, out if that affected it. No, I was just a self-centered person for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> this newfound concern for others is like from this decade, not. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, no, I mean, look, it, I feel like I can identify with what Caroline's saying. Like I was so caught up in everything that went wrong in my life was somebody else's mistake. That step six was like eye opening, like, Oh shit, I fuck up too. Right. So I was like, 
damn, maybe I got to be easier on people when they fuck up, right? That didn't necessarily change a whole lot about the way I handled life, but I did have the observation, right? Like I still was kind of a dick uh, after that, but I at least had that one glimpse of like, oh, damn, maybe I need to not be so harsh to people. Yeah, and I guess, see, I like for me personally, like I felt like all I was was a fuck up and a mistake. I mean, when I looked at my life, you know, every it felt like and I used to use this analogy a lot. Like it felt like up until I found recovery, um, everything that came up in my life when you got to that fork in the road where it's like you could go to the right and do good or you could go to the left and do bad. Like I always chose the wrong path. You know what I mean? I always went the wrong path. Um, even when I didn't mean to, even when it wasn't, you know, conscious choice, it's like, I just always made the worst decision. It's kind of how I felt about myself. Gotcha. Yeah. I think, I mean, I don't know that mine was too far off of that thinking. I just had the opposite reaction. It was the, uh, the egomaniac with the inferiority complex. It was like, (laughs) I assumed I was a huge fuck up, but I was trying to cover that up by acting perfect. So I, Mm. We were probably feeling the same thing, just had different reactions to it. <laughs> yeah. And this is a perfect example of like the, you know, what we talked about with character defects. Cause, you know, like similarly, I felt that way. But what I did was try to like overachieve at everything, not so that I could, you know, only to try to make myself feel as good as anyone else. Like I had to do something three times better than you to even feel equal to you. You know what I mean? Like it was. So it was that similar, you know, inferiority thing, but just manifest in a different way. That's funny because I had such anxiety that I just didn't try anything. <laughs> like if I wasn't already great at it, I wasn't even trying. Like, ah, that's yeah. stupid. Oh, you're great at golf? Yeah, that's because golf's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Let's uh, let's pause here and hear our, our voices ad, and then we'll come right back and hit some more of these great comments. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back, and we'll continue on with these comments. So Trisha said, I learned that I have many, many defects of character, but I also have assets as well. And I I question that. I don't know, and I haven't looked at our sixth step in, in a while, but I, I did question, and I never got a response. I wasn't trying to offend her. But I was just like, I asked if that was in step six. Like, I don't remember writing about assets in step six. And it I is, at least in the step working guide. It is in is there? the section on, yeah, writing about your assets. I remember that being at the end of four, but I didn't feel like we it was addressed in six. But I, like I said, I didn't really remember. 
it would make sense if it was uh you know who wants to dwell on just all the negative but i it caught me off guard i was like damn i don't remember that part uh maybe that's because i hated myself and everything i did was wrong so (laughs) (laughs) that couldn't have possibly existed um bob said i wanted i wanted to jump out of the window on the 28th floor of the hotel i was in the question how did acting out on these defects affect others wrecked me and i i could understand where he was going with this i mean i didn't I don't want to say I wanted to jump off a building because that sounds like I was really suicidal. Not to say that I wasn't, but I definitely felt pretty fucked up about the fact that I had hurt so many people. Like when I, so, okay. When I got here, it was easy to say, Oh man, when I was all fucked up on drugs, I did a lot of harm to people. It was much harder in six to realize how much harm I had done without the drugs to blame. Uh, you know, I was still here. Like it was easy to say the, the drug use and what I did to people to get drugs. Well, that was just my disease. That wasn't a moral deficiency, but now that I'm clean and I've still harmed quite a few people. Ooh, like that stung. And I didn't want to face that. And it hurt a lot to see it. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely could see that. I know for me, Uh, that sense was almost again, like relief because I felt like something must be wrong with me and that it was just a bad person. But when I could see it as, Oh, you have these defects, you're making these bad choices Mm -hmm. because you have all this bad belief. You're not a terrible person. You're a misinformed person. You're a, you know what I mean? You just threw, cause I'm an intellectual person. So I'm like, Oh, so if I just teach myself, if I just learn how to be better, I can learn to be better. You know, whereas before, just my impulse, my nature was to act on these defects and uh, just do terrible things, you know. And that's, I mean, that's brilliant. I think if anything, what to take out of this statement uh, from Bob and, and, and the way I handled it and it didn't go well is that it's nice to remember in six that we are still struggling with the disease and not a moral deficiency, right? It's right. nice to remember that even after we've gotten clean, we are still struggling with trying to be better people in the midst of having this internal unrest, right? That continues to make us seek ways to please ourselves that unfortunately harm others. And so we don't, we still don't have to be vicious, terrible animals. We can just be people who struggle with the disease, even clean. Yeah. So I like that. I'm glad we, that got brought up. I didn't even think about that when he made the comment. Uh, Rick says this step is of willingness. Willingness is the spiritual principle of step six, spiritual direction. Um, yeah, I get that. It's funny. I don't ever think of willingness as the step six spiritual principle, but, uh, he was, I don't know. He was big. He was into a religion and we talked a little bit about that. Um, which I, so as, as interesting, I love to hear the practical aspects from people who don't believe in God. Like I I love when you put that stuff out there, but I'm actually also just as curious about people who got in recovery and, and, you know, went back to, or found a religion and a lot of strength in that. I'm just as interested at how, at how they work the steps and how that works for them differently, because I don't have that experience either. I'm not like, yeah, in Baptist church, like working step six and figuring out how that could help me with it. So I don't know, just curiosity. It's, it's interesting to me. 
Um, but I don't know. Do you think of willingness? I know when we when we read the literature, it talked about willingness being pretty important. I don't think of willingness as a step six thing. I know it is. Uh. No, for me, I mean, I think the willingness comes more in seven. Like, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, so I, right off the top of my head, I think willingness comes more in seven. Right. I have this uh, this like list. I went through the step working guide and in the step working guide in our program, it shows like the top character defect or the the top spiritual principle. Like it's got a section for each step called spiritual principles. And then it'll show you the first one. So I wrote down the 12 steps and then I wrote down the first spiritual principle that was listed in the step working guide. But the only time I did something different was if that spiritual principle had already been covered. And so step three was willingness so even if step six, the first spiritual principle was willingness, that's not the one I wrote. I just skipped to the next one and wrote something different. Huh. So I think I uh, perseverance, maybe, maybe that's six perseverance. And I don't know, something like that. But yeah, I guess willingness is there. It's just not what I think of. I'm not thinking, I guess you have to be willing to write your character defects and look at yourself. Yeah. Hey, hold on one second. I'll tell you, because I have a book right here. I was like, I know I have a step working guide somewhere right around here. I can look in like three seconds. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it says commitment and perseverance, willingness, yes. faith, and trust, and self-acceptance. Yeah, so I had uh, commitment and perseverance on mine because willingness had already been addressed. So I didn't want to write that again. I, the reason I did it, I was using the numbers as when I saw them in day-to-day -day life to remind me of spiritual principles to to think about and, and live. Uh, and I didn't want to double up, even though I could always use double willingness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But yeah, that was his thing. He was uh, He was big on the the willingness aspect of it. Um, so then we come to Rachel who had a, a good point that I, I don't know how the hell we forgot it, but just maybe that not so much that we forgot it. We didn't really put, put it out there the way she did. She said her biggest takeaway was when she's not maintaining her spiritual condition. And when she stops paying attention, they come right back. They're just like the disease. They're never really gone, just arrested. And I don't know that we, specifically said that last week and when she wrote it i was just like man how the how did we not say that <laughs> like that's important uh, right like this is not just uh i become entirely ready and never have to deal with these again now that doesn't necessarily mean at least in my experience i've become entirely ready and some things have been removed and i have not found the need to do them again right kind of like the drugs that's one of them but there's been a couple others that for whatever reason, I don't have to do anymore. Um, but for most of those, she's right. Like this is not a, it's a daily reprieve. It's a, you know, what kind of work am I putting into making sure I'm not doing this? Because as soon as I stop consciously paying attention to what comes out of my mouth and the ways I treat people, I can go right back into the mode of, of, you know, being a jerk by default. And I don't know why that is, but it's definitely that they're arrested and not, you know, gone. Oh yeah, for sure. And I thought we did talk about this. Maybe not. I have to go back and re-listen, but yeah, for sure. I mean, for me personally, like say, I don't, you know, these, these defects are always present, you know, it's almost like we talked about earlier. Like they're always, they're always there as tools in my toolbox. It just, 
do I have other tools that are going to be better? And that's, you know, again, when I'm doing my 10th and 11th step, when I'm doing my daily maintenance, you know, to maintain my spirit, I'm less likely to pull those old two tools and use, you know, some of the new stuff that I've learned. So yeah, that's super important. It's almost like uh, step six is another version of a step one to some extent. It's like we, we talk about, you know, the disease is not the drug use. The drug use is just a symptom of our disease. And so, you know, I always equate that. The best thing I've heard is if you have a cold, you don't say, you don't treat the runny nose, right? You treat the cold. The runny nose is just a symptom of it. And so the character defects to me are almost like an extension of one where it's like I'm recognizing that, okay, we've we've established and got the runny nose out of the way and now we're dealing with oh shit there's a sore throat there's fucked up ears that aren't draining right or whatever like my temperature's high uh, i got a rash on my leg like it's all the other symptoms that that go along right. with the disease yeah or i think i mean i think it's more like the root cause so you know just to kind of go with your analogy like yeah i might have a runny nose and i can treat the runny nose but what's causing that you know, is the, the allergies. Like I have an, I have allergies or I have the flu and, you know, I can treat the runny nose, but until I deal with the flu, that runny nose is going to keep coming back. And that's Mm. for me, what I believe, you know, those defects of character are what leads me back again to use it. You know, that puts me in a place where I feel like such a piece of shit. I feel like zero self-worth. I feel like a whatever, feeling I have that just leads me back to wanting to get high. Right. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes total sense. Um, Stephanie said she learned that some of her most beautiful assets were being suffocated by her defects. For example, she's super creative and loved art, but she's a control freak perfectionist. And so she was opting to not create or to hate everything she created because it wasn't as perfect as she wanted it to be. And she said it was the same with her experiences with her children. Being a mom's her favorite job in the world. But when she was overwhelming herself, trying to be everything perfectly, like putting the kids in too many activities or trying to be the, you know, run the the parent teacher organization and coach T-ball and whatever else she was doing, she became exhausted and burnt out and didn't enjoy being a mom anymore. And so a big part of her step six was understanding that, she needed to come back down to a more humanistic role. Like the perfectionism is okay to an extent, but the blown out of proportion way that we do it makes her life unmanageable and and miserable all over again. And so, I don't know. I thought that was interesting that she realized that it was like, not only were these defects blown out of proportion, but it was ruining and and like kind of like the weeds choking out the pretty flowers in your garden, right? Like, it's not only that they're there making the garden unattractive because there is weeds, but it's also that the weeds are choking out the good stuff. Yeah. And it's interesting because they do talk about that in some of our literature that our character defects are overblown assets. Um, talks about that in the step working guide, but I like the way that she puts it a little better because I don't always know that it, it words it in a way there that makes it seem like, no, these are, these are, these assets can be really positive things in your life. If you can just reel them back a little bit, they're beautiful, but you tend to take them too far, you know, or I tend to take them too far and, and they become defects. Yeah, it was, it was a nice little, you know, story she gave for sure. 
Francis said he learned that his judgmental thinking was keeping him from being compassionate. Sounds very similar to, you know, what Caroline was mentioning. Um, Michael said that he was just as powerless over his defects as he was over drugs or alcohol was entirely ready to have God remove. He learned character defects or demons. His job was to get ready to have God remove them. Uh, man, sometimes like autocorrect, it makes it really hard to figure out what the hell is going on here. Uh, yeah. oh, so he was, he was trying to say he had to do his part as well. So if he wanted God to remove like lust, he had to get rid of lustful things. Like you can't keep your closet full of pornography collection. If you're trying to like, you know, it's not a good idea to tempt ourselves with paraphernalia for drugs. Like it's probably also not a good idea to, you know, keep your, the ways you act on your character defects around if you're truly trying to be rid of them. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, and then we actually had an interesting conversation. He, he told a story about a farmer planted a field of good seed and then a jealous neighbor contaminated the field with bad seeds with weeds and they both started to blossom together and the farmhands asked what to do. And the owner of the field said, leave them grow together until harvest time. Then we'll separate them. We'll destroy the bad and keep the good. And so I, I was, I was kind of trying to figure that out a little, I don't know. It, it reminded me kind of of the throwing the baby out with the bathwater and uh, say, <laughs> like, you don't, you can't get rid of the bad all the time without also throwing out the good. Like if you'd have just said, Oh, there's some weeds in this garden. Fuck it. Just burn it all. Like you lose all the good part of the crops too. And so you kind of have to just deal. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. Really? <laughs> I was hoping you would take over and I could shut up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't quite get, I'm, that story sounds to me like a Bible parable and I was trying to remember the Bible parable and I can't remember what it is, but anyway, so yeah, I kind of got lost in that <laughs> trying to remember. I think that comes from the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I think it does too. Uh, it kind of made some sense. I, I, I do like the idea that we can't, we shouldn't just throw ourselves away or chalk ourselves up to failures just because there's some bad parts. Uh, I think we are trained as society and definitely uh, as people like us, we are trained to see only the bad parts of us. And, and so we need these steps to kind of start to look at the fact that, yeah, there are these rough parts of ourselves, but there's also these good parts of ourselves. And if we just, if we just throw out all the rough parts, we throw away all the good parts too. Like, and that's not, that's, this is why we work this program because we're trying to nurture this good side of us that also exists that we weren't even aware of. And, and in doing that, we can't just throw ourselves away. We need to like, you know, look at some of these negative parts and, and try to fix them to the best of our ability and let the positive pieces shine through. Yeah. And like these, these, a lot of our character defects, you know, they're, they're coping mechanisms for life. You know, doesn't, I mean, they're not good coping mechanisms, but they're still coping mechanisms. And if that's all we have, you know, and then we just try to stop doing them, then, you know, we leave ourselves sort of defenseless and with nothing. It like, it takes some time to learn positive, healthy, you know, better alternatives to what we know. Yes. Which brings us right into the next one. Abdul, uh, Abdul Rashid said for me, the, stick, the sixth step was acknowledging once I acknowledged them, I had to put 
spiritual principles of trust and faith into practice, most of all acceptance, knowing that all my life I thought it was just the way I am, only to find out in my higher power that I too can change and have grown in so many ways. And I, I love that. There's just the idea. I, I agree. I thought, and I think we did kind of talk about this a little bit, just I thought I was just stuck that way. Like there was just nothing you could do. You're born with your personality and maybe your parents give you some of it, but then you're stuck. And if you're an asshole, well, you're just an asshole. Bad luck for you, right? Maybe next life. Uh, and so it was nice to realize that like, hey, now that I see this stuff, there's actually something that can be done about it. Like I can try to do something new. Kind of like you said, once you realize that there was the option to, to, you know, maybe apply a spiritual principle instead, it was like a freeing kind of feeling. Yeah, definitely. And like say, I knew like there was a part of me that knew like I wasn't a bad person. I, it wasn't like I liked to hurt people or like to cause all this harm that I was causing. It just seemed to be the result you know, of my actions and I couldn't figure out how to stop, you know, like, like I said, I felt, I'd say I felt powerless over, you know, reacting to life the way that I did because that's all I knew and I didn't know any other better ways. So say we never had a six step, right? Say we did one, two, three, uh, you know, we were powerless over our drugs or our alcohol or whatever we're powerless over. And, you know, maybe we can be restored to sanity and let me just uh, try not to control the outcomes and fight life, right? I can't, he can, let him, whatever you want to say, the first three. I'm just trying to picture this for a normal person because I don't feel like, I don't feel like the general everyday average person takes their inventory. I don't feel like they ever look at themselves and say, hmm, is it possible that something I do throughout the day uh, is not the way I'd like to do it. Is it possible I'm being an absolute dickhead at work during my regular day-to-day life? Is it possible that me imposing my views on people's Facebook comments are just, it's just really shitty of me to do that, right? Like, is it possible I'm not allowing others to have their opinions and me to have mine? I don't do people, I don't think people take this kind of inventory of themselves. And so, I'm picturing like without, without us doing a six, like, do we ever even realize that something isn't quite right with us? Do we ever realize that at all? So I like to think, I mean, and this gets outside of this is not a 12 step maybe, or representative of narcotics anonymous view. This is just my view, but I tend to think it's, it's that, six step and those character defects that lead us to be addicts in the first place. You know, you got to be a pretty fucked up person and you got to print, think pretty low of yourself to go back time and time again to using drugs and killing yourself. You know what I mean? Like healthy people don't make those choices. Healthy people recognize like, Oh shit, this is having tremendously devastating effects in my life. This is causing me to do a bunch of shit that I don't like. It's causing me to steal from people I love. I better stop, you know, and then they stop. And I think that's what separates someone who's an addict from someone who's not an addict. Like a a normal, you know, let's say a a normal non-addict person goes off to college and they get into college and they start, you know, their first they start drinking a lot and carrying on. And then they miss some classes at school, maybe cheat on a girlfriend they really love. And then they go 
well, fuck, this isn't working out. I'm going to knock this shit off and get serious. This is wrecking my whole path that I had going for me. And they just fixed that shit. You know what I mean? Like, whereas we are like, we'll ride that shit till the rails fall off. You're like, no, that can't be it. Like, for me personally, I think I felt so low and like such a piece of shit about myself because of my character defects that using was the only place that I found relief. You know, using was the only time that I didn't, I wasn't left feeling like a piece of shit, you know, as long as I was high and as long as I was, you know, out under the influence of some kind of drugs, I didn't have to feel all those defects. I didn't have to face the consequences of all those bad choices. So that's why I think if you don't get into doing like a, a fifth, sixth, you know, seventh step, if you don't really get into dealing with those defects, you're fucking doomed to use again. You know, it's like that's the only you're you're stuck living in all your bad thinking. Hmm. Now, see, I, I wouldn't I mean, I don't disagree with that. I just remember like and and I, I want to talk from my experience, but really I want to talk from yours because I'm trying to convince you to say something else. <laughs> But I remember you talking about like dealing with your coworkers, and I mean I know on plenty of jobs I've been at, I worked with assholes. And I mean, look in general, do I believe any singular person is a true asshole? No, I think we all come with our you know childhood traumas, and they turn us into people who react in negative ways to other people or don't consider other people, right? But for general use, yeah, I've worked with assholes, and they're not overly concerned about taking their inventory or being better people. They're very happy being who they are and, and being grumpy and being shitty with you. And look, are they miserable at the end of their day? Quite possibly, but that doesn't mean they're drug addicts or, or alcoholics. Uh, and I just don't ever see these people having, I don't see normal people. I almost feel like I, I'm blessed to have a drug issue because then it has led me to seek out further bettering of myself whereas i feel like a lot of general people in in the society don't ever even think to look at themselves they just walk around all day being an asshole and assuming they're right and everybody else is wrong well i would definitely say i think there are a lot of spiritually unhealthy people um i guess in in my example i'm trying to relate it towards maybe healthier people that have healthy mm. coping skills and that are living like a, a life that they'd say like they were happy about and that they generally like themselves and like the world and have a positive, you know, view of life itself. Um, right. So I don't attribute that to normal, all what I would call non addicts. <laughs> like, like there's a lot of people out there that are non addicts that are still fucking miserable and they hate life. And, you know, their problem is just for whatever reason, they haven't found drugs yet. If they found drugs, they'd probably wreck their life with them too. But <laughs> so this is interesting. And I think you're more optimistic than I am for sure. Uh, do, would you say there's more of the healthy variety of people or more of the, the asshole-ish, unhappy type of people in the world that you encounter? Um, that sounds like 50-50. Yeah, I would well, I would say that in general, people don't want to be miserable, unhappy people. There are a lot of them, but I don't think they want to be that way. I think they just they're sort of stuck in their own bad thinking and, and own misinformation. You know what I mean? They're stuck 
being sold the bill of goods that society tells us like, Oh, go out and get the job and make the money and buy the house and get more stuff. And then you'll be happy, you know, and, and, you know, make sure you got the right shoes and the right fucking car. And, you know, if you keep up with this trend and that trend, then you'll have lots of friends and things will be good. And I think a lot of people fall into that trap. Um, so they're not happy and they can't figure out why. But I don't think that's because they're bad people or because they have, you know, uh, bad intentions. Oh, okay. So, yeah, going going with that, I would absolutely 1,000%, even though it's not a real thing. Uh, but I would 1,000% agree with you because, I yeah, I don't believe anybody personally. I really don't yet believe that anybody is a bad person. I, I think we're all products of, like you said, society, the environment, the nature, the nurture, a little bit of all that. And, uh, you know, that forces us into some reactions that don't work out well for us, but we don't know how to quite change even when they're not working out. Right. Um, I was just, I don't, I just don't feel like normal people, normal quote unquote people mm. get the opportunity that we get to really look at themselves as often. I think it's easier for the normal person to say it must be everybody else. Uh, whereas we're kind of in a place or a program where, if we have a network and a sponsor while we're running around saying it's everybody else, they're going to, you know, we're going to believe them and trust them when they say, maybe the problem's you. <laughs> yeah. Right. Thank God. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think I definitely think a lot of people could benefit from some self-reflection and some, uh, you know, honest self-appraisal of their life. Um, I would say the difference for addicts is that without the help of, a power greater than ourselves. We're not capable of that. Whereas I think maybe some normal people, if they would were just, you know, and I, again, normal, what the hell does that mean? But some non addicts might be able to sit down. If, if they were to take the time and do a little bit of meditation and self-reflection, they could probably pick out some of the errors in their life pretty easily. Mm. Um, but that could be a naive assessment. <laughs> I've never done counseling or therapy with normal people. So I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a it's a skewed view when you're doing therapy with people because you're you're not meeting you're not meeting uh, what we would quote unquote say the normal person, right? You're meeting people who want to do something about their problem, which isn't everybody. So you're only meeting a, right. a very subsidized you know piece of the population. Yeah, but that's why partisan politics and shit works so well nowadays. It's like you get to pick a team and you get to be right and they get to be <laughs> assholes and wrong. And you know what I mean? Like, that's why all that stuff sells so well. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, Cheryl says that she learned in her step six that she's no better than anyone else. They're arrested and not gone. And she can revert back at any time, if not vigilant, which is very much in line with what I loved about uh, Rachel's statement. You know, this is just, we're not better than anybody, no matter at, well, I don't know. I, I don't, when I'm in a good place, I'm not better than anybody else, right? I'm not going to sit here and act like I don't think it from time to time, but I generally, I'm offended when people do think that other people are less than, uh, you know, we talked a little bit before we got on here about some of the views of people in our county have about drug addicts or, or things like that, about those people being less than. I, I unpopular opinion. I stand up for people who, uh, you know, have sex offenses just because I think it's fucking shitty that we think they're terrible people 
I don't believe that. I don't believe they're less than people. I believe they're sick people that have done some awful things. I'm not trying to take away from it, but I, I generally get the opinion that society as a whole is mostly on board with fuck them dudes, right? Fuck them pedophile dudes. They're, they're shit. And I, I just have a hard time believing I'm better than them. Uh, I know that's a, <laughs> I'm going to get very disagreed with, and I know I'm, I'm on a hill, but you know, I, I don't have the high ground on this argument. That's for sure. Yeah. What's well, interesting. I mean, that's you saying it that way is very eye opening to me just from the conversation we had earlier. Cause again, I know there's a large constituency of people here, definitely in Cecil County that feel like, you know, this, you know, what we talk about in our literature, like the tired old lie, like once an addict, always an addict, you know, like they feel like that's the truth and that addicts are worthless pieces of shit and the world will be off better without them. And sure, a few of them might get better, but for the most part, you know, they just drag everyone else down. They make everything worse. They steal, they lie, they cheat and fuck them. You know, that would be, and if you go on and read enough Facebook comments, you'll see some people outright say that stuff. You know what I mean? One of the comments, what we do with, you know, drug addicts in our county right now was, you know, 20 bullets are 25 cents. You know, that's that's going to be the new Cecil County drug policy, <laughs> you know, and, and people feel that way about addicts. And to me, of course, that's offensive. And, you know, I'm like, wait a minute. You know, now I know plenty of people that are good people that have done some wrong in their life, but now they're assets to the community and blah, blah, blah. I would generally not say that about what I would consider to be sex offender, like pedophiles and stuff. I'd be like, Oh, they're sick for life. There's no fixing them. Fuck them. You know, we're better off locking them up or killing them. Like I would say all the same things, just change the, change the issue. And I would say that about the other group. Yeah. Is, bullets for 25 cents. <laughs> Yeah, right. So that's pretty eye-opening, actually, that you say it that way. I mean, coming from your experience, if that was my experience, I can't say that I would hold the same thoughts, right? I, I don't know that. I just, I definitely get bothered because, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, I have a, a criminal record, right? It's not for sex offenses in any way, shape, or form, thank God. Um, but it does include some felonies. And <clears throat> excuse me, part of my issue is that these kind of crimes, even though they're not particularly devious per se, they just fall under the code of being a felony as opposed to a misdemeanor, uh, they stick with you. And like my understanding of our judicial system was always that once you had completed your sentence, whatever that may be, that you were even, right? Like you, you've paid your debt to society, which meant you were even again. And when these things stay with you on job applications for the rest of your life, that doesn't feel very even. And so right. I look at people who have sex offenses and how they are now on a fucking registry online <laughs> and permanently tainted for life, right? Like, I remember trying to move into a specific uh, housing complex near around Baltimore, and I was turned down because of my criminal record. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I can't live here? And so I'm just looking at like what people must go through who, who have their sex offense on an online registry, where they can live, who they can be around. I think the entire thing is a joke personally, because we're going to sit here and worry about the sex offender who already paid his debt to society, which theoretically is enough to deter him from doing his crime again, as opposed to the other six 
sex offenders in the neighborhood that haven't been caught yet. We're not going to be concerned with them. (laughs) Let's focus on this registry of people who've already done the time that should have deterred them, right? So it's just, it all seems whack to me, man, that we Uh hold over people's lives for the rest of their life. And it's like, when are you ever free? When do you ever break that mold? Yeah, and it's fascinating because I, as the more I think about this, I'm like, wow, that is so true. Like, I have never done, I've done zero research to see, you know, what the uh, recidivism rate is of pedophiles to know, you know, if there's some forms of treatment out there or not, or what the likelihood that they'll repeat. You know what I mean? Like, I've done no research and it could go one way or the other. I would almost bet if you did the research on addicts, it is pretty fucking bleak. You know what I mean? Like the the statistics that you would look at are pretty bleak, but I would still defend the addict, you know, because I know personally know so many of them, you know, and I've seen so many people who, you know, like myself, were criminals, bad people that have now become really good people and really assets to their community. You know, I'm like, well, we can't, you know, almost like we talked about earlier, you can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Like you, you, there's some good people in here that can be, you know, fixed, saved, whatever. But yet in that category, in this, in this sex offender category, uh, there is no uh, forgiveness. <laughs> it's it's nope, throw them all out. All of them, baby bathwater, the whole fucking lot of them. <laughs> In the criminal justice unit in New York, there's a special division for heinous <laughs> <Yeah>. crimes. <laughs> dun dun! Who knew this was going to be the sex addict uh, version of our podcast? <laughs> That's great. Uh, so anyway, moving on. Let's let's get away from the sex for a second. That's the first time I'll ever say that. Um, <laughs> Patrick says his defects were in the way of becoming a better human being. They separated him from God. And from other people. Uh, He started realizing later on how much of him that he wasn't turning over to the care of his higher power. And I guess that's maybe in six realizing that like, okay, in three, I turned over a lot of me to my higher power, you know, over to the care of him. But how much of that is not true. And I guess trying to come from a a standpoint from where I am of, of, you know, believing in some universal power, I kind of get that right like hey i'm turning over a lot of these parts of my life that i don't want to have to fight anymore and yet here i am in six and i'm realizing i'm still using all these manipulative character defects to try to make y'all like me like why can't i just turn over the fact that you'll like me right like why can't i just trust that some people will like me and some won't and i gotta manipulate to try to make all of you like me right yeah well that's just i mean that's the that's the bad thinking that we need to fix. I mean, for me, you know, everyone needed, like I felt so low or so worthless that everyone needed to like me. You know what I mean? Like if one person didn't like me, that just reaffirmed everything that I thought about myself already. But if everybody liked me, then I must be okay. You know? And, and that was the broken thinking. It was that, you know, it doesn't matter what I do. Some people aren't going to like me. Even if I don't ever make any mistakes in their life, they might not like my fucking hair. They might not like that I wore some certain color shirt on some certain day. You know, who knows what, you know, that's it's understanding that I am, you know, I am who I am. 
And pe- some people are going to like me and some people aren't. And I just need to be okay with that. Hmm. Yes, it is completely okay if you are listening that you don't like me. But I'll tell you right now, if you tell me, you'll probably still hurt my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, just know. I mean, it doesn't mean my feelings won't be hurt. It just means I don't. So what I would do in the past was change who I was and present myself in a different way to try to get you to like me. Oh, you don't like that about me? You don't like that I wore that shirt? Well, fuck, I'll never wear that shirt again. I'll get rid of that. Even if I like it, you know, I'll get rid of it. Oh, you know, in this group with these people, we need to like this kind of music. Okay, I like that kind of music now. I, that's what I like now. That's what I'm into because that's what these guys like. And, you know, I want their approval. Instead of saying, no, that music's shit, man. I don't, you know, like, I don't like that. I like this over here. No, I totally get it. I remember elementary school, third grade. So I guess we're talking like 1988, 89. I got in a class picture with my favorite T-shirt, the Baltimore Orioles shirt, but it was it was a pink shirt, right? And this was like before that craze of having team apparel that wasn't the right color of the team. And so I don't know. Back then it was still, you know, if you had a penis, uh, apparently you couldn't wear pink. It was only you know, <laughs> right. pink only worn by vaginas, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. And so I called a lot of flack for liking that shirt. And I think eventually probably stopped wearing it because I didn't like getting picked on. Uh, and I wanted to be liked by these people. You know, and then come to find out I was just a fucking hipster because like eight years later, that was what everybody did was wore pink fucking hat <laughs> their team on it. I was like, you bastards. But no, I agree. I, there could be, you know, a hundred people in a room and 99 of them love me. And I just completely ignore that and focus on the one person who doesn't because I need every last person to like me. It's just not enough if not. Uh, the next comment was Jennifer that said she learned all her defects of character come from reactions to the past resentment, present anger and future fear triangle of self-obsession, which she is powerless over. She can practice the spiritual opposites, acceptance, love, and faith and stay in position for God to remove her shortcomings. And that was, uh, interesting. I didn't, I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say anything about the triangle of self-obsession in six i guess it makes sense for sure i just i've never really like i love the the pamphlet the triangle of self-obsession it blew my mind when i read it and still can but i didn't realize that all the defects come from reactions to that but i i'd be hard pressed to argue that (laughs) yeah and I, i mean i remember my first sponsor telling me you know that all of our defects come from self-centered fear you know, that, that all of our defects come from a fear of something. And, you know, if we figure out what that, and it's all self-centered fears. And if we can get to the root of that, you know, that will help sort of work through some of those defects. Um, and I think that's what, you know, where she ties it in with the triangle of self-obsession. I think that's a similar idea. Yeah. So, and to follow that up, the last comment here is James, who says he learned he only has one true defect. He's completely self-centered. All the other things I see as defects and shortcomings are just manifestations of my all-encompassing self-centeredness, which is very much in line with what you... He must have got sponsored by that same guy. (laughs) Yep. And so, yeah, I guess I kind of sort of believe a similar thing. You know, all the defects come from some kind of fear. That's a very Buddhist belief. It's weird. You always hear the 12 steps come from a, you know, a Christianity-based 
program, but that's very Buddhist to to think that basically we're we're ultimately at the core of everything. We're scared of dying, right? We're scared of accepting the fact that death is part of life. Not we look at it as an ending instead of just another piece of it, right? And so it's very Zen to just become comfortable in the fact that death is as much a part of life as birth, and we should be just as easy to, you know, exist with all of that and blah 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 blah. Like I don't understand completely all of it. I, I got well, I think in just in you know our society today, I mean, we're sort of, you know, we aren't really taught to embrace or to, uh, you know, accept like discomfort or uncomfortable feelings or pain, you know, any of those things we are taught to like avoid and overcome and conquer, you know what I mean? And like cancer, we're going to kick its ass, you know, and, and we just, whereas in, I think more, you know, Western ideology, it's, it's about embracing those things. Like, yes, pain is a part of life. Suffering is a part of life. I mean, I know for me, I was raised, you know, I have a, a, overwhelming fear of like failing at something and almost like you talked about earlier like there's a lot of things i won't even try or i won't even have the courage to step out and do because i'm worried i might not be good enough at it you know mm -hmm. and and i think that's common in our society and i think as addicts we're super sensitive to it um but that living that way holds us back from so many things you know it, it really keeps us back from uh embracing the fullness of life and you know, the reason we have fear is because no one wants to feel bad feelings. No one wants to be hurt or feel sad or, you know, be disappointed. So we just get in a mode of where, you know, reacting to life is is trying to avoid those things like the plague. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I do want to clarify before I respond to that, that when I say blah, 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 I don't mean to offend anyone with Buddhist beliefs. I'm very <laughs> in tune with uh, Eastern philosophy. I just say blah, 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 as in there's a whole lot more after that, and I'm not going to continue quoting it. It's kind of like a dot, dot, dot. Uh, so that was all I meant. It wasn't to be offensive as if it was all Charlie Brown speak. I, I truly believe in a lot of it. It's great. But I, I think it talks to, you know, speaks to what Billy was saying exactly which is that we're we don't face these things we don't embrace sadness as part of life we don't embrace pain or discomfort as part of life and, and i think we limit our existence really when we do that like yeah are we limiting our pain sure probably we're probably distracting ourselves with enough netflix and you know smartphone games and, and text messages to not feel it hurt as much. But I think the level to which we halt our hurt, the third, you know, the needle can't go further than that, the other direction either. And so if we've never had any deep pain, we've probably also never experienced any really deep fulfilling joy either. I think uh, the, the more we limit ourselves in one direction, we really cap our ability to go up to and that all of it as awful as it fucking sounds and don't ever ask me this when i'm in the middle of pain but the truth is that all of it is part of our rich life experience man and when we experience it it feels full right it doesn't feel empty anymore yeah and i think you know early on i remember learning in recovery that you know life isn't always about you know feeling like great wonderful 
you know, overwhelming joy all the time. Like that's what I thought life was supposed to be. Like it was only good if I was at the extreme of happy all the time. Right. Any forms of like say discomfort or pain or failure or any of that stuff was just the worst, you know, it was like as bad as death, (laughs) you know? And, uh, you know, in recovery, I remember learning like, no life is like, the ups and the downs and, and some of those struggles, like that's a part of the process of being alive and you're not going to feel great all the time, you know? So, you know, you learn a couple things in that one is when you're having those good times, man, you really learn to appreciate them. You know, you really learn to not take them for granted and not just expect that's the way it's supposed to be. I have a, a nurse friend, Bobby, uh, love her dearly. Um, she has the, you know, the, the EKG where it goes up and down and, and the beeps and all it's the, you know, you always see it in every Hollywood medical show because people flatline and it just has that long beep and that means they're dead. And she's got that tattooed on her and told her that a nurse, when she was bitching about the ups and downs and when does it ever like steady out another nurse friend of hers that she respected kind of explained to her that like, that's that flat line is death. Like you need life to be up and down, just like the EKG monitor, because that's how it goes. And when it stops going up and down, you die. And I just always thought that was kind of an interesting take mm. on that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, we did have one more thought about step six. Uh, at least uh, I'm going to try to read this and not read the whole thing and sum it up a little because it's like four paragraphs. Uh, our, our buddy Stephanie on Instagram had sent us a message and she loved, she loved the step six podcast. She said, thank Billy for his take. Uh, the ready, entirely ready to have spiritual principles replace my character defects. Uh, yeah, I definitely think that should be the name of step six from now. On. <laughs> um, but she said she could totally get down with that. And she said, it puts the work and accountability where it should be on her. Uh, when she went through six and seven, she read the supplemental books. She was another person who mentioned Drop the Rock uh, and another book called The Ripple Effect, which I have never heard of. I might have to look into that at some point. Uh, she said in there they had a list of defects with the spiritual principle to apply along with it. And she said hearing it again, it looks she was thinking about having to read through those books again. Um, she could identify with seeking validation outside of a relationship. First started going to meetings, you know, liking the attention that people gave her, but realizing that she felt like she should know better, but that, you know, just a whole lot of stuff in there, but I I really appreciate her reaching out. It was an interesting conversation. Um, I'm glad we were able to, to talk some helpful things. And I just, again, kind of like when she reaches out, when, when, you know, what I was telling you about Matt earlier from Twitter, like when people really feel benefited by this, it just, I don't know. It's, it does something to me. Cause I don't, I guess I don't expect, maybe I still think less of myself and don't expect anybody to get anything out of this, <laughs> but I'm just like, damn, man. Like I feel like I get so much out of this and I'm glad that our conversation is inspiring others to have conversations and, and talk more about this and get more out of it too. Yeah. And this is probably going to be the, the, you'll get me to talk about some God stuff here. So I don't get to take credit for, you know, most of what I say, because it comes from, you know, if I was going to use the word God, it comes from the God in the universe. It's like information that's been shared or freely given to me or stuff that's been passed on to me that I've picked up through 
you know, conversations with other people in recovery or conversations with other spiritual principles. And now, you know, I can just share that with others. Um, you know, I, I'm humbled too that, you know, people listen and that they get something out of it and that they make comments. I mean, it really is, it really is amazing. And I think the process of recovery, you know, can help so many people, even a lot of them earth people that are sick and lost, you know, they do need to do some of these steps. They'd probably get some benefit out of it as we all, I'm sure. And when I first got clean, like, man, everybody should work steps. Like this would make everyone's lives better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, what did they say when I got here? They were saying, uh, they need to make assholes anonymous and fill stadiums with it. <laughs> <laughs> I could probably still go. <laughs> I probably still qualify. Oh goodness. Uh, but yeah, no, I think we've covered. I, I don't. Even, I guess we'll call this fucking step six, take two, or something. I don't know. <laughs> Follow up. <laughs> yeah, so much good information, and I really appreciate everybody having such good information, and and maybe put your earthling friends uh, onto the podcast so they can listen and and not be assholes anymore. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think I have uh, exhausted what I have to say today. Maybe we'll keep it a little shorter than usual. People will probably be excited about that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's dinner time now, so we get to go make dinner. I'm not used to doing this in the evening, so usually I've got to go do grass, mow grass or something. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm a little weird, too, and I think they already ate, and I'm going to be mad if they had cheesesteaks and I didn't get mine until it's cold, but... <laughs> But no, this is great, uh, and we're looking forward to having Matt on next week. So hopefully, no nothing happens where that falls through. That'll be exciting to ask him a bunch of fuck ton of questions about his pathway of recovery and and learn more about something new that we don't know much about. And yeah, uh, and if you've listened this long, let me just add in with Matt. He is also an advocate of uh, medical marijuana and medical cannabis stuff. So if anyone has any questions or whatever about that stuff he's very knowledgeable about that as well so yes yes so yes so give us all your questions and uh we'll put this out there and we hope to see you in our you know discussions online so find us on facebook instagram twitter link up with us tell us all your comments so we can you know learn from you as well and uh we'll see y'all soon that wraps up this episode please subscribe rate and review this podcast on your preferred platform if you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.